Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The uh, bishops of the United States are gathered in Baltimore, Maryland, for their annual uh, fall conference, and Dr. Matthew Bunsen is there. He's executive editor and Washington bureau chief for EWTN News, a senior fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, the author or co-author of more than 50 books, including the first English-language biography of Pope Francis. Well, Matthew, uh, good to have you with me, of course. Uh, I'm just wondering, how's the weather there in Baltimore? Uh, rainy and cold, yeah. so uh, yeah. we've got that. <laughs> in Ann Arbor, they're all settling so. into they're probably a little more intense than in Ann Arbor. So yeah, well, tell me about today's news. They were having the uh, election of president and vice president. I suppose that's the big story. Yes, it is. Uh, so the bishops uh, conducted their votes uh, for both president and vice president. Usually, it's a pro forma uh, activity for the bishops and the vice president tends to move up. Uh, that's, uh, it's rare that that doesn't happen. It's about 10 years, 12 years ago or so, uh, Cardinal Dolan was appointed elected president uh, over Bishop Gerald Kikanis, in part, I think, to meet some of the great challenges that have been emerging from Obamacare and other things for religious liberty. Right. In this case, uh, the vice president, uh, someone I know you know very well, uh, Archbishop Vigneron of Detroit, yep. Uh, wasn't actually able to run for president because he will be too old. Uh, And so the the vote had to be for both offices. It uh, proved to be, in sort of classic fashion, a a somewhat drawn-out affair uh, because uh, there were some tabulation issues with the machine. And it's just uh, because you had 10 candidates, all of them received votes to some degree. So it took some time to settle out who would actually win. But at the end, uh, Archbishop uh, Broglio of uh, the Archdiocese for Military Services was elected president, hmm. and Archbishop William Lorry uh, was elected vice president. I think a lot of people would be surprised that the Archbishop of Military Services would be elected president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. What what does he bring to the task that uh, the fellow bishops, his brother bishops, saw as important? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, Archbishop Rolio is a longtime uh, diplomat. Uh, he served originally for the Holy See Diplomatic Corps and was a nuncio, or a papal ambassador, for a number of years before being appointed uh, to the United States as the Archbishop for the military. In that role as the Archbishop uh, for military services, that basically means all of the chaplains and their families. Uh, he is uh, well, well-traveled. Uh, this is someone who spends time on aircraft carriers, uh, on Air Force bases, on military bases, and cares for families literally far flung across the world. He's also very well known among his brother bishops. Uh, his, the headquarters for the AMS, as it's called, uh, is based in Washington, D.C., so he's okay. well known from that direction. Uh-huh. Uh, he's also very respected um, for his theological acumen. He has a doctorate in canon law. Uh, he's uh, respected and trusted by his brother bishops. He's not really considered uh, an ideologue under any fashion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh, is absolutely solid theologically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's someone who can build a consensus as we head now into what I suspect will be another three years of real contentious political, ecclesiastical, and social battles. I've interviewed him a few times over the years, and have always enjoyed it, and I found him to be very approachable, down-to-earth, 
theologically sound, as you say, and uh, actually fairly creative in his thinking. I understand that uh, the military remains an important source of vocations. It does, and there is that uh, the need for more chaplains, and that's something that uh, has been an, a, a long-standing historical challenge for uh, American Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's also a recognition that uh, culturally we are changing in some ways, that uh, the, the military life, uh, for whatever reason, uh, has been de-emphasized a lot in culture. So there's that. Uh, plus, if we look at the uh, declines in vocations across the board, securing chaplains for service in the, the military um, is increasingly a challenge, as uh, bishops understandably want to try to hang on to seminarians and priests. And yet, I think the, the appeal of the military chaplaincy remains. And I think uh, Archbishop Broglio has been a genuinely articulate spokesperson for what that looks like, what the life of chaplains do, and the importance, the important role that they play for families. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's also, uh, he's, I don't know what the right word is, uh, he's well-connected. I mean, he's chancellor and chairman of the board at St. Mary's Seminary in University of Baltimore. Chancellor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary, past chairman of the board at Catholic U, you know, so he's, he's institutionally connected, yeah. Yes, he is. Uh, and again, that, that diplomatic background that he has, yep. uh, multiple languages, um, he spent uh, many years in Rome uh, working in the Secretariat of State, and then, uh, as is often the case, was appointed in Nuncio, and... Uh, as often happens, too, uh, as a nuncio, he was tapped to take on uh, a role as an archbishop somewhere. I can think, for example, uh, I think it's the Archbishop of Edinburgh, uh, who is similar, I think, Leo Cushley. Oh. So all of that uh, matters in the sense that uh, we have someone with um, a great deal of Roman experience, a Roman understanding, that kind of the often used term is Romanitas, a <laughs> sense of how Rome works, yeah. uh, or sometimes doesn't. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, so Vice President is um, Archbishop Laurie, uh, so talk to me about him. Well, he's uh, another uh, very well-known Archbishop in the United States. Uh, he began as uh, a priest in the Archdiocese of Washington and then uh, was almost unanimously chosen uh, by the Presbyterate of the Archdiocese uh, when uh, I think it was Cardinal Hickey was looking for an auxiliary bishop, uh, a very, very talented and well-trained theologian. He's a doctorate in uh, theology from Catholic University of America, uh, and then uh, sort of rose through the ranks to the Archbishop of Baltimore, which, uh, while it is unlikely or perhaps less likely that uh, that uh, position will have, that see will have a red hat or is a cardinalate, uh, it is and remains our primatial see, so there's a definite cachet there. Uh, Archbishop Laurie is also, I think, one of the most um, compelling uh, spokespeople for the pro-life cause and also the cause of religious liberty. He uh, holds these positions uh, as a, the committee chair uh, for religious liberty and for the pro-life cause, those matter and have mattered now for the last decade, and that's one of the reasons, I think, why he had the level of support he did. As an important side note, however, 
because of his age, he's 71, he, as I understand it, will not be able to run for election to become president of the conference uh, in three years when the terms are up, which means that in three years, you and I will probably be having the same very similar conversation. Uh, There will have to be a new slate of candidates for president and vice president. I I don't know much about the process uh, of how uh, potential uh, office holders are recognized. Do, I mean, what, what what kind of primary season do they have here? <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if we look at uh, Archbishop Brolio, for example, um, he was elected to the position of secretary of the conference. Uh, several years ago, so I think two years ago, uh, and as a consequence of that, uh, he is also very well known among his brother bishops. Uh, there's uh, one interesting little mathematical thing that, that took place today, and that is that uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes uh, came in as sort of a finalist for the, the vote for vice president and lost narrowly to uh, Archbishop Laurie. Rhodes uh, was the notable chair of the Doctrine Committee uh, at a time when he had the responsibility to craft the document on the Eucharist, the Eucharistic Coherence, and did a very stellar job, uh, using that, I'll use that word again, building consensus yeah. uh, among the bishops uh, that really sidestepped what many thought, and certainly some in progressive Catholic media had hoped would be a firestorm of controversy. Yeah. So from that sense, uh, as a committee chair, uh, bishops gain more experience. Uh, they gain uh, not just notoriety, but I think when they hold these chairs well, a lot of respect from their brother bishops. So there are always uh, discussions about who might be good for this particular type of a role. Yeah. Do they be, do they just start from uh, scratch? In other words, do people just throw in names at the beginning of the <laughs> vote? Is there a slate? Uh, well, so we had, for several weeks, uh, uh, we had uh, a list of candidates. Basically, ten names were put forward. Uh, supposedly, some were proposed and asked that their names not be advanced. Okay. Uh, the, the classic, uh, if nominated, I will not run, if right. elected, I will not serve type of a thing. Yeah. Um, but you end up basically with a group, and I think there's a sense, too, that some candidates who might be put forward will have their name removed because they know for a variety of different reasons uh, that they will not win yeah. uh, that position. Sure. Uh, in other cases, um, we saw, for example, Bishop Flores, uh, who's uh, generally considered a, a rising figure among the bishops. He did not receive a lot of votes. But he is also somebody who, in his role now, is a, a major voice among the bishops. He gave a presentation today on the Synod on Synodality. So okay. they basically take the measure of each other yeah. uh, and go from there. Now, okay. there is also, of course, a certain progressive versus conservative. You know, I, I hate labels, Yeah. but that's very much also present here. Yeah, you've got to be aware of that. Uh, did, did um, I guess... I, I, did let me just switch for a moment from this question of progressive versus yeah. conservative. Uh, did uh, Archbishop Gomez give his talk? He did, and um, I know yesterday when we did the update, uh, I spoke a little bit about his remarkable tenure of three years. Yeah. 
uh, he received a standing ovation at the end of his presentation today. He really did stress the importance of unity, of evangelization, but he also hit on some of the key themes uh, uh, that have been a hallmark of his time as president, and that is the, the realization, recognition of where we are in culture and the need to confront where we are in culture. Okay. That uh, is the source of irritation, I know, to especially many in progressive Catholic media. Yeah. But uh, the, the archbishop went out as he came in, uh, and as we saw right after the election of President Joe Biden, who poses serious problems uh, for American Catholicism and Catholics in political life, mm-hmm. holding positions as he does that are so contrary to the teachings of the Church, Archbishop Gomez did not flinch from that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the, the general view is that he handled all of that graciously and pastorally. Yeah. Uh, and that's exactly how his uh, closing speech was. And did the papal nuncio have something uh, worth spending time on? <laughs> he did. Uh, he, he's uh, stressed again uh, some of the, the keys for Pope Francis. Uh, he spoke about a, a church that needs to avoid uh, turning inward, yeah. uh, talked very openly about the need to evangelize, but really to go out to the peripheries. Uh, those are, are major themes that uh, the nuncio tends to focus on anytime he's speaking to his brother bishops. Yeah. Uh, it, it reminded me very much of a uh, speech a couple of years ago from the, the nuncio. But then there's also the, the new uh, key word uh, that we're seeing from the nuncio, we're seeing from Pope Francis, and that's synodality. And, so these, so are, these are themes. Did... did um the, the synodality being discussed today was it? Did you say Bishop Laurie talked about synodality? Uh, Bishop Flores. Yes. Bishop Flores. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, that's uh, right. D- d- that one I thought uh, provoked perhaps the most interesting back and forth of the day. Yeah, uh, and that was on where we are with this continental faith. One question was raised uh, as to why all of the the ten sessions that are scheduled. I think there are three in Spanish. This is for North America. Uh, three in Spanish, two in French, and five in English, why they are all scheduled to be virtual. And uh, especially in light of the fact that, uh, as Cardinal Tobin reported, and he would know he's on the Council of Cardinals for this, uh, for, the, for the actual Synod in Rome, and he said that the other ones tend not to be virtual. So that could be something of a, a controversial point. But Archbishop Nauman, I thought, also uh, of Kansas City spoke on behalf of a lot of the bishops and expressing his worry, which is a recurring one now, about the risks of possible manipulation of the synodal process. Yeah. And I think that was well-spoken and well-taken. Good, good. Well, Matthew, thanks so much, and uh, we'll continue chatting this week, and uh, I'm glad you're there. Thanks. Yeah, looking forward to it. God bless. Uh, Dr. Matthew Bunsen again in Baltimore for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Annual Fall Assembly. I'm Al Cresta.